Well, you can take your Bible, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. This morning we began in this passage. We looked at three major points, what Paul saw uh, when, when he came down to Athens, could I say the epicenter of the world in its day? And we looked at those three things. He saw, in verse 15, we saw, he saw a, a city that was given to idolatry in verse number uh, 18, a city that was soaked in philosophy. And in verse 22, a city that was sunk in superstition. Now, I'm not going to reread all of that, but what I would like for us to do is instead read just a, two or three verses and look at them tonight. Uh, the passage runs from from about 15 all the way down through uh, the end of the chapter, and I intend to preach off of the back end of that next next week if I'm still the preacher here. <laughs> I don't know who's going to be preacher, uh, but. Uh, but tonight I would like to look just a little further at verse number 16. Look at, the, look at 16 with me. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. My first point we need to be stirred. We need to be stirred by what we see all around us. I'll preach that in a minute. Secondly, verse 16 says that he saw some things. And we spent our time this morning talking about what he saw. So not only do we need to be stirred, but we need to be seeing what's really going on around us. And then verse 17, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. And down verse 23. Verse 23 says, uh, let's start with 22. And Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, You men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are too superstitious. For, verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar uh, with, his, with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship." Him declare I unto you. So we need to be stirred, we need to be seeing, but we need to be standing. I want to preach on those three points tonight out of this passage. We've already described the surrounding conditions in the morning message, a city given to idolatry, a city soaked in in uh, philosophy, a city sunk in superstition. And we've become, a, we've become a country that no longer stands in the shadow of the Word of God, but now we've got so many opinions. Whatever's popular at this moment, you know, who would believe, who would believe, who would believe that who would have ever believed that when the Supreme Court reversed an unjust opinion that has cost people, cost 
around 60 million lives in America, that there would be such an uproar, not only among the street people, but among our leaders of the country. I do not understand where we are today, and you don't either. But it's a wicked world. And Satan is a deceiver and continues to deceive. So, so this morning we looked at, at, at that. Take us, well, I've read my text. Uh, Brother Earl, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? You can keep your place here, but if you would like to, you can turn over to the book of Lamentations. Jeremiah uh, wrote the prophecy in Jeremiah, then, uh, and then uh, tagged uh, this book of Lamentations on just behind it. Lamentations is not a prophecy, but it's a funeral dirge. For us, you know, in the in Isaiah and Jeremiah, uh, they are the pre-captivity prophets of the Old Testament, and Jeremiah was carried away into captivity with the Jews. Remember that the Jews were saying, "Well, this can't last." We are God's chosen people, and God's not going to let us. Not He's hey, He He's pro, we we stand on His promises. He's not going to let us fall. We're not, and though we're over here in captivity, it's just temporary. But it wasn't temporary. They had so sinned that God carried them into captivity. They stayed there 70 years. And somebody said, well, but Jerusalem hasn't fallen yet. And so, the, so while they were in captivity and while they were bragging about their, they hadn't turned back to God. They just depended, they were depending on their status. If there's everybody ever been, ever been in that position, I would say it's the United States of America in this day when China's rumbling and Russia's rumbling and, uh, and, and the hurricanes are blowing us off the map and the fires burn all summer and, and we keep saying, this can't happen to us. We're the number one country in the world and we are the nation that that stands on God. Get a, get a focus. Do we stand? I say not. We are a backslidden, cold-hearted people, selfish, uh, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So, so here is in Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah's language in this book of Lamentation. Now, now Jerusalem has fallen. The city that could not fall, God has allowed it to fall. In verse 12 of, of chapter 1, we need to be stirred, folks. Uh, I have thrashed around with this message all week. Hey, we're in the middle of wickedness. We live in a wicked nation. We live in a cold-hearted nation, a selfish nation, and a nation that has no regard for the Bible or the, or the things of God. We, I, know there's a, I know there's a remnant. I know that. And I'm not talking, I'm not, 
I'm not saying that's us. But we need to react to what's going on around us. He says this, and this verse has always gripped my heart. Verse 11 says of chapter 1, All her people sigh, they seek bread, they have given their pleasant things for meat to relieve their soul. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am become vile. This is the this is the people that God has said, you're my chosen people. You're the apple of my eye. I've got you written on my right hand. And the, then, then Jeremiah says, Is it nothing to you that all ye that's passed by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the, in the day of his fierce anger. So, uh, we need to be stirred. God's man was, you know, we call him the weeping prophet. He was the weeping prophet because of the reaction of Israel to the pleadings of God through the prophets to the preaching of God. Think about where we've been. I remember a few years ago, we had a missionary from England come to our church down in Alvin. I can't remember his name, but you'd know, some of you'd know him if I could call it. He'd been a missionary in England for 15 or 20 years. And he had picture after picture after picture after picture. We saw the slides. You remember it, Susie? And there was one of them was a stable, one of them was a bar, this, that, the other. They were the churches of England. In the in the 19th century, England was the centerpiece of all God's doing in the whole world. I mean, men like Spurgeon and and uh, I can't remember the I can't remember the missionaries' names. But you, uh, Warren Wiersbe said there was a time in England that you could get off the ship and walk up walk up through the uh, the city of London and hear five or eight or ten of the best preachers in the world preaching at one time there in, Ungl- in London. Uh, Hudson Taylor, that's who I was trying to think of. Hudson Taylor got set on fire, went to China, took 50 or 100 missionaries out of London to, to China. Dr. Livingston down in Africa uh, lit a trail and not hundreds, but thousands of missionaries followed him out of England there. And could I say this gently, we got the King James Bible out of England. God sent the message for the English-speaking people out of England. And, uh, but where are they at? They've got everything from skating rinks to bars where churches used to be. Look around you. See what's happening in America. A thousand churches, a thousand Bible preaching churches a year closing doors. Less churches in America today than there was a hundred years ago. We've shut God out of the courthouse. We've shut him out of the schoolhouse. And for a great part of America, we are shutting him out of the church house. It's time to get stirred. Is it nothing to you that passed by? That's what he said. That God, is it nothing to you that 
wherewith the Lord has afflicted me. He's talking about as a preacher, as a prophet of God, in the day of his fierce anger. You go over to chapter 3, verse number. I'm not, I've already preached this morning and tonight. I don't think that's, that's point number one. We need to be stirred. Here's point number two. We need to take our blinders off. We need to get our head out of the sand. We need to look around and see what's really happening all around, around us. Texas brags about having five of the major cities in the United States now here in our country. I would say to you, just caution, the number one homosexual city in America is not San Francisco anymore. It's not New York City. It's not on the East Coast. It's Austin, Texas. Does that make you proud of Texas? No, sir. It breaks my heart. It's a cancer that's eating our country. And we're sitting by letting it happen. We've quit preaching pure and plain, simple. It's time for us to be seeing. Over here in, over here in chapter 3 of Lamentations... Well, I lost Lamentations in all of this. In chapter 3 of Lamentations, he says this. Verse 47. Fear and a snare is come upon us, desolation and destruction. They said, two years ago, they said, that the bars and the liquor stores were necessary social embellishments for America. But the churches were not. You remember that? And folks stayed home from church and hid out from church and, and the church doors were shut across America. 48. Mine, I runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission till the Lord look down and behold from heaven. It's time, to, it's time not only to be stirred, and it, but it's time to, to see what we really are facing. Ain't y'all see any of the handcuffed little kids at the schools this week on the news? I couldn't believe it's going on in Texas. Five, six, seven-year-old kids with handcuffs behind their back. Going on all over our country. What's happened? Well, we forgot that, you, that there is a way of reproof we find it right here. We forgot that there's a biblical answer for raising children. And we've turned our children over to the TV set or the foster program, and we've run and played and enjoyed our entertainment, our lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and pride of life. It's time to be not only stirred, it's time to be seeing. Over in Proverbs 19, he said, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law happy is he. I want you to notice how he tied that verse. 
That's that's biblical. That's old uh, Old Testament biblical poetry. It's poetic writing, parallel statements. Remember, we taught that here. Some of you heard it. Parallel statements. One statement said that where there's no vision, the people perish, and the next vision, God's uh, the next. The next statement said, here's where you get your vision. He that keepeth the law, happy is he. There is a Bible way, there's a world way, and you, if you don't get your vision set on the Bible way, you're in trouble. And your kids are in trouble. And a generation's in trouble. Uh, uh, we, could, we could go uh, further, but Let's just go to Amos, over to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 11, or chapter 8, verse 9 he says, it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon. I'll darken the earth in a clear day. I'll turn your feast into mourning and your songs into lamentation, and I'll bring up sackcloth upon all loins and baldness upon every head and I'll make it as the morning of an only son at the end thereof a bitter day. Behold, here's the verse, Behold the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. So here we are in a Bible-preaching, Bible-standing nation where no one knows what the Word of God says. And everybody's got some kind of a philosophical answer. Everybody's got some pseudo-wisdom that will uh, take, the, take you right into the uh, paradise of self-satisfaction, but it didn't work. We left the Word of God out. And there's a whole nation out here that doesn't know anything about the Word of God. Y'all remember when the election time, you could depend on the candidates to be at church somewhere? They don't even bother to come anymore, do they? Because that, that is the, I don't know if you noticed or not, but we're not the home team anymore. And the, con uh, and the condemned society is that little portion of society that's still hanging on to the Bible and trying to live. By you become the enemy. They think you're crazy. But we need to, we need to see where we are. In the dark, dark day, in Isaiah chapter 6, in the middle of the continent, you remember we divided Isaiah into two sections. He wrote it in two sections. There's the, there's the 39 chapters of, of pure judgment, and we're right in the middle of that in chapter 6. And he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. Remember Uzziah was the long-running king of Israel who was, who was thrust out of the temple because he dared to take, try to take over the priest job in the temple. He did not count the holy things holy. He was going to do it the king's way, not God's way. And he became a leper. A leper in Israel was a, was a shame. He had to stand on the side of the road and cry unclean so that folks couldn't get within 20 yards of him. This is the king's preacher now. Re, re, remember that. Isaiah's been preaching since chapter 1, not chapter 6. And he's been the king's preacher He's, he's waved at the crowd out of the king's chariot. He's been, he had, 
You see some of that on your television preachers, don't you? They'll wave to you in the politic world and give you a greeting. But he said when he died, in my shame, I was down. I couldn't, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And he, he goes in great description, and I'm not going to go through all this passage. But down in verse 5, when he got low enough, when the Holy Spirit gripped his heart, when, he, when, when God's power was rattling the, the, uh, uh, the train of the temple, When, that, when the seraphim were shouting, holy, holy. Can you imagine how, the, we don't even know how they could have said it. I, I get the idea that when God showed up, they showed up just to make sure that his holiness was guarded. They guarded the holiness of God. They exclaimed the holiness of God. They couldn't control themselves in his presence, they had to cry, Holy, holy, thou art holy. We can come. Folks get saved. God does something. And we're wondering when we can get down to the Mexican food. We've lost an awe for the holiness of God. Verse 5, then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen, it's time for us to see the King, the Lord of hosts. It's time for us to see the holiness of Almighty God and take a stand on it and guard it. Could I say with our kinfolks and with our cronies? Amen, Brother Wayne. That's good preaching. It's not very popular preaching, but it's true preaching. And we need to get a hold of it. This is not a game we're playing. Souls are in the balance every service. You say, why don't you wake those girls up? Why, why? Here's why. Some of them need to be saved, but they're interfering with other people who need to be saved. This is the holy place. And if we, if we don't get the gospel out here, how in the world are we ever going to get it out out there? He said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the middle of a people of unclean lips. Over in Hebrews, chapter, I think it's 1127, describing, describing Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty seven by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured, you ought to get a hold of this, as seeing him who is invisible. If you really get hooked up on holiness, if you really get hooked up on, on a, a fresh vision of who he is, that bunch you run with all week are going to think you're nut. They're not going. They they won't. Uh, you won't be too popular down there at the workplace. But you, but get this. Until somebody takes a stand, they'll never see. And if you're the somebody. Wouldn't it be worth it to take your stand for your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends, 
your workmates. Wouldn't it be worth it to get a hold of enough God to say, I'm undone, but he's not undone. He's a holy God, and if you knew him like I know him, you could, you'd know what this is all about. It's time for us to be stirred in our soul about him and to see him. Hey, get in your Bible. Get back in that Bible. Spend time in that book. As I've watched, I, I, there's, there's two marks in Acts chapter 17. There's a man who came to the very pit of the world with Jesus in his soul. He looked like a crazy, they said he's a babbler. He's a bird picking its seeds. But before it was over, they got the gospel hard and fast. And, and that city became a place where Jesus could uh, rest in hearts and souls. We need to be stirred. We need to be seeing. Verse 17 says, Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with devout persons in the market daily with them that met with him. Standing, he was standing in opposition. Over there in Ephesians chapter 6, he said, he said, put on the uh, whole armor of God. Let me get back over here. He says, he said, he says in verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Are you standing? Are you stirred? I'm not talking about. I, I'm not talking about just talking about it at church. I'm talking about out there where you live, out there where you work, out there where people know you. Are you standing? Well, he stood in opposition, but I like this second point. Look at verse 23. Verse 23 said. As I, for as I, he says in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. He's not off in the corner. He's, I don't know if Mars Hill is the highest place in Athens or not, but it says he's right in the middle of the top of Mars Hill, wherever that is, in the place of where all the controversy is going on, in the place where the public is throwing uh, verbal jabs at him. And he says this, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. <clears throat> Him declare I unto you. So now he's not standing in opposition. Now he's standing in declaration. Hey, those folks going up and down that road out there are not our enemies. They're folks that are ignorant of the Word of God, and we need to tell them about Jesus. We need to declare Him to this world. Uh, I just wrote down some stuff. He said, he said, I'm going to tell you about the God you don't know, that unknown God. Next week, if I get to preach next week, I'm going to preach on probably the greatest sermon that Paul ever preached. It's this sermon right here. I'm not going to give you the sermon tonight, but I'll give you the title of it. He said, the God, he said here's my sermon. The God you don't know is the God I do know. Let me tell you about him. 
Now you come in here tonight for all kinds of reasons and I don't know what, but there's somebody here that does not know him. There's somebody here that really needs to hear about him. And, and I, hey, why do I need to hear about him? Because he is the only Savior of the whole world. God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You need to know him. And we need to declare him. I, I don't have time to go there, but over in John chapter 6, he begins those I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And, and he goes down through the I am. That word I am is, is always a present tense word. It was used in, in Exodus chapter number 12 uh, when God's sending uh, Moses uh, no, it was in Exodus chapter 2, I guess it was, when God sending Moses uh, to, from the burning bush. And you he said, you tell them, I am. Jesus says it over seven times in the book of John. He says, I am. He's, he's a present tense Savior. Somebody said, well, that's that old story. That's, that's an old the old gospel from years past. In eternity, there's no years past. In eternity, there's no years future. In eternity, it's always present tense. God is always present tense. The Savior is always present tense. You know what that means to you? You throw God away a few years ago and you've run and played and done your stuff and now you're at the bottom of the barrel and you think you've gone too far and God wouldn't save you. Here's, here's a great promise. I am. I'm still the only saving God. I'm still the only Savior of the world. I am. And in this present moment, no matter your condition, no matter how far you've been or what you've done, He'll save you. He said, I'm able to save to the uttermost all that will come unto God by, by me. He's the only I am. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's, he's the always present tense, always loving, always sufficient Savior. Declare what? He's a Savior of sinners. You don't have to be a righteous uh, altar boy to be saved. You don't have to be a, uh, you don't have to have an education down at the seminary to be saved. You don't even have to, uh, I told you about that boy that got saved at the workplace last week where my, my boy works. And he kept, he, Kevin said all day long, he kept saying, I just can't believe it was that easy. I just can't believe it was that easy to get saved. All you've got to do is turn your heart toward him and cry out to him, and I promise you, you'll be saved before you leave this place. He is a, he is over there in, in uh, down in, I lost my verse, down in First uh, Timothy. Let's read it. 1 Timothy 1.15. Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners there. And this is a faithful saying and worthy all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Listen to this. The whole reason he came to save sinners. And Paul said, of whom I'm chief. That's a murderer just talked. He's a, he's a persecutor of the church. God saved him. You know, you know that story. The verses over there in First Thessalonians, or first, uh, or in John chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus said, 
he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath. Not going to have, try to have, won't have, but has right now everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation, but is passed today from death to life. We need to tell that story. We need to declare him to this lost world. Uh, you got, you say, man, I live in a rough neighborhood. Wouldn't be so rough if you get a few of them saved. I remember a, a, a fellow that, uh, that we used to help down on the port of Houston. There's no rougher place in Texas than, than that place around the port of Houston. He was a, he was a missionary to the, to the seamen down there on the port of Houston. And he got serious about serving the Lord. And old Barney began to pray and seek God. There was a, there was a joint right across the street. He, had, he was trying to set up a mission for the seamen and right across the streets of the roughest joint in town. They found a dead man laying on their porch one morning. His wife almost went into a nervous breakdown over it. She has shocked her so. But it's coming off that, everybody keeps talking about Deep Ellum down here in Dallas, cleaning up Deep Ellum. Shut the joints down. See if it doesn't clean up. Take the sin out. See if it doesn't clean up. Close those, those all-night uh, houses and see if it doesn't clean up. It'll clean up. You save a lot of cops' lives if we did that. We're too dumb, aren't we? Old Brother Bernie prayed. He eventually won the man that owned the joint to the Lord. And they didn't have to burn the place down. They didn't have to get... He shut it down himself and moved away from it. And it never did come back. I knew Brother Bernie was going to get us all killed down there, but, but he didn't. We went down to the ships a lot. We need to declare him. John sung a song this morning that I've had on my heart ever since I started studying for Thanksgiving this time. I need to declare him because he's the God I know. I need to declare him because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. I need to declare him because of all the many blessings that are mine because of being a child of God. The song he sung this morning was, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. He'll do that right now. If you just call on him, he'll do it. It doesn't matter what you are, what you've been, what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. He'll save you. He'll completely give you his Savior. I love what, old, what I read in that book about that farmer down there in Shamrock, Texas. I used to work in the oil field down there, and we drilled wells down there in Shamrock. Down there in that sandy land, and the far young farmer, just a newlywed, and they, they were burying his baby. The baby had died. And the preacher said, I've had to do this. I've had to help dig the grave and help bury the baby. And he said we was covering the baby. And the tears are running down through. He said I could see a three or four day growth of 
whiskers on his face. And that farm boy was weeping as he was covering up the baby. He said, I couldn't stand it anymore. And finally I said, son, don't you know that baby's in heaven? He said, yes, sir, I know that. He said, well, why are you crying then? He said, you, you're going to get to see her again. He said, no, no, preacher, I won't. He said, you mean you're not saved? He said, no, sir, I, I, I couldn't get saved. I'm too wicked. I'm too sinful. God, God wouldn't save me. I, w I would love to see my baby again in heaven, but I can't go there because I'm too wicked. Preacher said, stop digging. Let, let's talk. He said, let me tell you what you do. You gather up all your sins and take them to God. He'll gather up his Savior and bring him to you. And he'll go home with your sins and you can go home with his Savior. Amen. He said that long about that, that farm boy got saved and began to rejoice. And look, hey, I remember calling one of our young members, he had been killed in a car wreck that night. I, I, they, I was preaching a meeting. They called just before I preached, said he's had a wreck. Soon as I got through preaching, I called again, and they said he died. I said, I need to talk to her. They said, we'll go get her. By the time she got on the phone, I was... I was broken over that young man that had died. I, I, I was weeping myself. And I couldn't even, I know a preacher's not supposed to do that, but I couldn't even console my member in her bereavement. After a while, she said, don't worry about it, Brother Wayne. Said, he just went to heaven. They'd had two miscarriages. Said, he's getting to see our babies, and I hadn't even got to see them yet said, it's not a sad day, it's a happy day. Can you get it? He's the only hope any of us have. But his hope is, is enough to carry you all the way through life and into God's eternity. We need to declare it, church. We need to be telling it. If I get a chance, I'll preach the message next week. I want to ask you this. Are you stirred? Can you see what's going on all around us? The wickedness of the devil that's trapping souls all around us. Some of them are your kids and grandkids. Some of your kinfolks. And mine. It's breaking my heart. Are you stirred? Will you declare him? I think we need to have a move of God in this place tonight. I think God needs to do something in our hearts. We can't do it in ourselves. They call us the babblers. Birds picking up seeds. That old-fashioned gospel. But they need to hear what you and I... They need to know the God we know. Let's stand. Father, I just ask you to have your way right now. I pray, God, you'd light the fire in the furnace right here at Metropolitan. I pray you'd turn the lights on in the lighthouse that you've built up here on this hill. God, Make us the church you'd have us to be. Help us, Lord, to see where we are and where, what a wicked world we're in. See what a dangerous place these young people live in. God, help us to, help us to see it and be stirred and take a stand that we need to stand to, to defend you and declare you to this lost world. Oh, God, help us to 
Help us to do and be what you want us to be. Take charge of Metropolitan Baptist Church. Take charge of each soul here, whether they're members here or not members here. Lord, they need Jesus. He is the answer to every problem, every trouble, every heartache, and he's the only answer. We have to have him. Please take charge right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Page 157. I hear.